Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO Podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And our guest today is Anna Turman. She's System VP of Region Health at Common Spirit Health. Welcome, Anna. Thanks, John, for having me. Truly blessed to be here. And I love that comment on our jobs are challenging. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I think it's gotten more challenging. Now, on the CEO podcast, like I haven't heard anyone say, you know what? The CEO job is easier now than it was 10 years ago. It's a cakewalk. <laughs> it's a cakewalk. Yeah, it does. Well, I, and I'm excited to have this conversation because a lot of times in the CIO, when we talk a lot about technology, but I think in this one, we're going to talk a lot more about leadership. So, but before we go there, tell us a little bit about yourself and Common Spirit Health. Yeah, I am the System Vice President of Regional Health Technology. I have a very diverse, diverse background, very unique, diverse background. I've uh, been a CIO, a COO, and a CEO in healthcare, and I have 25 years of experience there. Wow. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've had someone with that kind of background. That's awesome. So talk to us. I mean, since you've had that background, what do you think is the most important thing, you know, a thing a leader should be doing in this current environment, which is kind of uncertain, I think, is how I would describe our current environment. That is a really good question. And if I was to think about that, I think for me, um, connection is one of the most important pieces because, uh, again, as a leader, our, what should be in the forefront of our mind all the time is people. And so like the art of rounding for me is the most important, going around, rounding. It's good for the heart. I mean, you're, you're walking around, right? <laughs> it's, good for the, it's good for the soul. It's good for the mind. Um, I, and I'm very deliberate when I round, and I think we all should be very deliberate. Um, one, a mentor once told me, don't start your day with your emails. You'll get caught up in task-oriented stuff. Start out getting out and seeing the people. So rounding is really important. And I actually have this whole method to it. It's, and if you want to remember it, you, claps, right? It's, it, you're doing rounding to connect. You're doing it to level set um, the why. Why are we here? What are we doing? Are we taking care of the patients? Are we here for the patients, right? Um, and then adding value. And then pro, being proactive, you know, what, what's the problems going on while I'm here, standing here working with you, whether it's in a huddle and you hear the safety issues, right? And then finally staying relevant. You're, you're not going to be relevant as a CIO if you're not rounding your sites, rounding those hospitals, checking in with them, seeking to understand, like deeply seeking to understand what their needs is, what their challenges are, what their barriers are. Um, so I think that's one of the most important things as a leader in healthcare and in technology is rounding, seeing the whites of the eyes, being in that front line, being in their shoes. Speaking of being in their shoes, um, be sure to wear good shoes for that rounding. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no heels, ladies, no heels. <laughs> I think what's interesting about what you said is everything you said was about them, not about you. And I think, you know, it's interesting as leaders, sometimes we're like, oh, I need to go talk to this person about this thing, or I need to go push this initiative. And everything you just said in your rounding was, I need to hear them and what they're saying and what they're doing. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's, there's an old adage, um, how does it go? It says, uh, no one sees what you see 
even if they see it too, mm. right? So if you were deeply thinking about that, it's important to understand is even if you're communicating, you know, initiatives, that's an opportunity to communicate initiatives while you're rounding. Hey, this is yeah. coming up and this will solve and improve your experience, et cetera, right? Start drawing that line to connect them to initiatives that IT is doing. But more importantly, understanding what their needs are and listening first. And so this way you can both see what each other are looking at, you know, and, and honestly, if you seek to round and to the round and listen deeply, then you're also going to get that mutual understanding. It will follow, right? Yeah. So, so no one sees what you see unless, uh, or no one sees what you see, even if they see it too, means that you're going to have to get, somehow you're going to have to get to a mutual understanding or, or a mutual um, goal. And to do that, you have to kind of seek to understand where they're sitting, where they're standing, you know, what initiatives, what are their barriers? So. Yeah, that's great advice. So, you know, when we were prepping for this, you talked about something really interesting, and that's how a CIO should should use, you know, their why with story, you know, to be able to communicate with, with your team, and also using, you know, both IT business language and human language in that. Talk to us about that and how you, you kind of use this and how you approach, you know, talking about your why and using stories to communicate with your team. You know, it's funny because I think most CIOs and most people in IT, most leaders in IT will sit down and say, um, more specifically, they'll sit down and say, hey, we're here because we're business partners. We're not just IT, right? We're not just here because we have vernacular in IT. We're here as business partners. We're coming to the table as business partners. And we say that a lot. And if I was to think about it, it's not just that we're business partners. Because if we're, if we're talking about telling the story, you have to connect them even deeper than IT or business, right? You have to, you have, to have that IT vernacular. You, know, you have to understand how you can s- support or help or improve their, their needs or problems. But, and, and you have to be able to speak this, the business language what's important to them, how it connects, right? But more importantly, you have to connect to their why, connect to them. And and it's hard if we're just using data or if we're just mm-hmm. doing, using business vernacular, right? Either one. What we have to do is kind of get down to that, again, mutual understanding, right? So if we seek to understand and we tell it through a story, something that impacts them. As humans, things stories are more impactful. When did you once see this? happen and connect them more deeply because you can use data, you can use slides, but until you use a story to tell the tale, to connect them more deeply, it's just a business and a, and a, an IT transaction that you're working or initiative that you're working to, to sell them or mutually get them to understand. And it's so much easier to do that when you are telling a full story, that's very connective to the human soul, like connecting to the person themselves. Yeah. And you just highlighted an interesting difference. I kind of talked about the why of the organization or the why of the project, 
But you said, what's their why? <laughs> Which I, I think that's something we lose too. Like, well, you should just assume they love patients <laughs> or, you know, it's, you know, maybe some of them actually love data, right? <laughs> like, you know, data is what drives some people, right? Because they want proof of, of whatever it is. But uh, that's interesting to dive into their why. But I think that's a challenge as a leader to do that at scale, right? Like, you know. Yeah. Because lots of people have lots of different whys. Any ideas and advice on how to handle kind of disparate whys in your organization and how to understand what is their why? Well, if you're rounding enough and you're sitting with 10 different people at a table and you've rounded those folks and been to their, their huddles or worked with them, then you better understand. But sitting in the room, CIOs have to also have a, a really um, keen eye and to be situationally aware because if, if they're not understanding that, we talk about it all the time, something might be bothering someone specifically. It could be something at home. It could be something right. at work. So how they're feeling that day, you have to be very aware that someone's a little more closed off sitting at that table and they're not going to connect as well. So you make sure that you see that and aware of that and try to address it as you're speaking. Maybe give them more eye contact or maybe walk towards them. Um, just being more situational aware, that's a, that's a, a skill that is um, part of influence. People speak that we have to have influence. We have to have a good skill set and influence. But I think it's situationally where it's kind of that foundational piece to influence is to understand the room itself, who you're talking to, and what's deeply affecting them. Um, it could very easily be, well, the, the that clinic goes down for the morning, um, or it could very easily be, I got my kid to school late, right? And so they're just stressed out. So bringing that calm and realizing that there's there's something bothering them, you have to kind of adjust to each and every one of them, all 10 of them, if there's 10 in the room, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is challenging. Do I have an answer to that? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Takes work, huh? but it is something you can develop, which is interesting. But I actually think this problem is going to become even more challenging because you know, talk to us about how you think a CIO can can lead effectively with remote teams, which I think is going to become even more common as health systems continue to expand and buy and acquire, you know, I mean, Common Spirit's a large organization already, right? How do you lead effectively with remote teams, you know, which, you know, obviously there's a whole discussion, should we go back to the office or not? But as they expand, you by nature have to have some remote teams to support large organizations. So how can we do that effectively remotely? I think each of us are a little bit unique. Like if you were to ask, you know, a hundred people, would they prefer remote or not remote? There's going to be folks that have the personality that do remote very well, who can be disconnected and still be connected in a different way um, and, and enjoy that. And then there's other people like myself who I power, my energy is powered by two things, two things, sun and people. And so I find more and more energy when I'm around people. So those types of people, it may not be as conducive to their productivity if they are remote. And so you have to understand, seek to understand your own people. You have to round your own people, right? And seek to understand them. But at the end of the day, no matter what, even if they are the type that like to be more remote and they prefer that, they still, they're human and we still need that that connection. Um, I was recently went um, on a trip and actually <laughs> it was a long trip. Let's talk, it's a rounding trip, right? There was 1600 miles. Um, 26 hours road trip, 
like 26 hours windshield time and four gallons of windshield wiper fluid, right? (laughs) I was decimating the population of bugs in that state uh, to around 10 hospitals. So those folks are not remote. They are on site, but they're remote to me and when I was leading them, right? And so rounding and going to, to round with them, it was so amazing to see that there's so much more connection when you're there physically, when you're there communicating, shaking hands. In fact, you know, someone I never met in person, hugging, right? When they come up to you in the hug, because they're just so grateful to be communicating in, with you in, in person. So I think if, as we go more remote, we need to make sure we're still doing that in-person connection somewhere because Zoom cannot, Zoom or whatever else uh, platforms, they, they cannot solve that human desire to be more connected, shake a hand, um, laugh together over something, bring humor. Um, it builds resilience. If we keep them too remote too long, and they don't have that connection, then you might be losing a little bit of resilience, a little bit of retention. There might be some things that are lost there. So there's probably has to be a balance based on the fact that there's so many diverse people and what their needs are. Yeah. So that company-wide email doesn't create connection the same. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, well, unless you're telling the story. Now, if you're telling the story and you're saying, hey, this is why we're doing this and tell a beautiful story about you know, a mother and child in the hospital, you know, maybe it does connect them. Yeah, that's fair. Although it's interesting. I mean, we've seen it on healthcare IT today, the power of video even, right? So if you're, even if you're remote, telling that same story through a video can add some depth of connection that even, you know, a well-written email is tough to do. So it's interesting how, how much we desire that human to human connection. I think. There is a challenge in it. Like I agree. You, you can see when they're crying, you can see when they're upset. But I have noticed that when you're, like we were talking when we're sitting in a room of 10 people versus if you have a, a Zoom of 10 people, mm-hmm. the uh, power, the ability of me to use my skill set to uh, assess a situation, assess the room, to understand where people are and be able to influence appropriate is a little more challenging. It does add challenge because you cannot see all their mannerisms. You can't tell you know, if something is bothering them, because it's, it's more of your, you have a better ability of a mask, especially if they turn the video off. So. Mm, Yeah, that's fair. So you talk about an IT team of excellence, uh, TOE is, you know, I think your, your definition or your uh, abbreviation for it. Talk to us about what you see as an IT team of excellence and how do you use that to lead effectively? So um, it's, it's a framework for me. And it's basically saying there's good IT teams, there's great IT teams, but to be a team of excellence, you have to go from this to this, right? Go from good to great to team of excellence or from great or just from good to team of excellence. Um, But it's based on um, different aspects that are really important for a team, right? One of them is um, uh, competence and coaching, right? So coaching, you're a good team if others are investing in you, you know, where other, if, if others are investing in me, I'm part of a good team, right? Mm. But if, and if I start investing in myself, then I'm, I'm probably part of a great team. So I'm being invested in and I'm investing in myself. I'm part of a great team. But a team of excellence is when that team is not only just being invested in, investing in themselves, but they're investing in others, right? 
So we're starting to lift others. Um, one, of the, one of the parts of that framework is to connect. And again, it, it's like you bring value to the team. Um, a great team would be that you synergize the value of team the team brings. And there's synergies there. You see how all everybody is interacting. And then the team of excellence would say, I belong and have value beyond that team, right? Mm. So connection is really important and competence. This is just an example. And connection and competence are really important in coaching um, because it allows you to, if you're at that team of excellence, you're able to reflect on you know, what's going on. You're able to reference and say, this is going well, right? You're able to recall a time you've done it and use that as a story, right? And then you, that team is recognizing each other for it. So it's like a four R connection, right? So it's just going above and beyond. I think the best example is saying, um, if I was to simplify it, we're a good team if we're delivering IT. We're a great team if we're de delivering, um, you know, above and beyond our goals. We're exceeding ex our, our expectations, right? We're meeting, we're not just meeting, but we're exceeding. But a team of excellence is when you're lifting up the hospital president to achieve their goals, right? When you're lifting um, other teams to achieve their goals. So being aware when you're rounding what their goals are and helping them, because that's what we do. We enable the business to succeed, right? Yeah. And so that's why we want to be business partners. We're not IT. We're, we're here for you to support you to be um, successful. And you can't do that unless you're a team of excellence and you actually understand what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve, and then you're helping them get there. Yeah. It's interesting. I almost would describe... You're saying let's actually be good business partners rather than just say we want to be your business partners. That's that's how I would define this discussion right here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Interesting. Well, you know, kind of to some of what you just said, you know, talk to us about the importance of mentoring and mentorship. It sounds like you may do it within your organization, but I imagine you've had experiences, you know, outside of the organization in your career and with other people. And particularly talk about this, you know, the value of mentorship and mentoring when it comes to, I mean, you know, state the obvious, you're a woman CIO and there aren't enough of those, you know, we know because we try to incorporate as many as we can and, and, you know, the numbers are against us, but uh, talk to us about mentoring and mentorship. Yeah. So it's interesting if you don't mind me kind of maybe going down a strange path to answer this one, yeah. but I I never really had female mentors, if you were talking about um, more formal approach, mm -hmm. right? Um, I didn't have any female bosses for many, 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 many years. Um, in fact, I had my first one as of recent, right? So to think about that, um, I didn't even realize it. You don't think about that until someone points it out, right? Um, but as I was growing with mentorship, for me, I realized that I need a little piece from everybody. I need a little information from everybody because this mentor may not be great at this, A, B, and C, but he's amazing at X, Y, and Z, right? And so I want to mentor off the X, Y, and Z, right? And, and based on that, I kind of built what I call um, my own personal advisory council. Nice. And it's it's very diverse. And there's, there's always uh, – uh, and, and then I – I can specifically name them, but I won't do that. <laughs> um, but that 
I have them in, in positions where they're either outside the industry, they are, um, you know, in different industries, so to speak. I have people that are either CEOs or CIOs or COOs, or as long as they're a leader, I, I want it diverse. I don't want all CIOs or all, all CEOs. I don't want all female or all male. I don't want, you know, I try to make it as diverse as possible. Even going outside the industry, um, I have one that is a, a lieutenant colonel, right? And so um, in the military, so not just private, but private and public, right? Mm -hmm. So really getting that diversity. And so when I have something I want to soundboard or I want to think about or I want to be mentored in or coached in, um, I look at my own advisory board and think, okay, this person is great at this. I keep this person because he is, he can help me level set and, you know, seek to understand and help me reference and write a story to it to say, this is how we, this is how I do it. This is how I think you should do it. And we can have that soundboard, right? It's just a much more diverse soundboard. So mentoring, I think, has been just so spread out and diverse. I wouldn't say that any specific mentor was important in my life because early on, I decided I needed my own advisory council so that I could hit certain areas where they were amazing. That's really interesting. And I think the other challenge that I see, you know, it's interesting that you didn't have a female mentor for a long time. And, you know, I look at it and I, I look at many of the female CEOs out there that could be mentors and would be great mentors. And I look at it like there's so few of them. Where do they have time to mentor and to speak at every event so that there's a diverse panel of speakers and and to do, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, it, it's yeah. almost taxi to someone like you that, you know, uh, yeah. So anyway, it's an interesting balance to, you know, you're, you're pretty blessed to have someone that can do that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. It, it actually helps also to the fact that it, it is, there's a lot of commitment to a mentor. If I'm mentoring something, I'm committed to someone, I'm committed to that someone. Right. And it takes quite a bit of commitment and time to mentor and vice versa. So to just put that that commitment on one person is hard. That's mm -hmm. hard on them, right? To expect that they have the answers to all things and then they feel like they have to have the answers to all things so they can mentor you appropriately. And I think that that's why I spread it to an advisory council is because we're all very busy. And so I lean on and lean in where I know that they're really amazing. Like they're my, out of them, there's one I go to when I wanna be challenged. Someone's gonna challenge me. Um, and, and you know, there's there's someone there who's gonna, you know, really great at um, influence and speaking and communicating, you know, and so you you just kind of go in that direction. So yeah, it's 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 taxing on people, yeah. but we have to do it. I mean, if we don't invest in others, again, you're not part of a team of excellence, right? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, and I mean to your point if they're not busy, do you want them as a mentor? <laughs> like, right. You know, I agree. Question. I mean, maybe yeah. some retired people, I guess, could fit that. But <laughs> <laughs> but even then, most retired people that you'd want as mentors still have other stuff to do. So it's interesting. Yeah. Well, we always like to end uh, these podcasts with a, a little bit of career advice. So what would you say is maybe the best piece of advice that you've been given in your career? Well, I mean, after everything I said, I'm, I'm going to have to end it with the the unique piece, right? So be uniquely you, be yourself, take a little part of something that you think is amazing from every leader that's been in your life or every mentor, it doesn't even have to be a leader that's been in your life to create 
that leadership style. It's like a chef. They take recipes, right? They probably have their mom's spaghetti recipe and a great chef will take that recipe and add his own flair to it. And then it becomes his recipe. And it everybody goes to that restaurant because that's an amazing recipe, right? Um, but it all always has an underlying, like historical came from mom, right? Um, but if you want to create a, your own flair and 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 be an incredible leader, it has to be your your recipe, you know, a dash of resilience, uh, a pinch of listening skills, right? So whatever those little pieces and parts are, you know, a a cup of rounding, right? Take all those pieces and make your own recipe to be an amazing leader because there's not, we shouldn't be replicating leadership of one person. We should be able to put your own, add your own flair in there and create your own recipe and, and to serve those that you are leading. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I would say that's one of the takeaways I have from doing the CIO podcast is how diverse each CIO is. And, and some are dynamic leaders that are incredible storytellers that can inspire and others are more, you know, practical boots on the ground. You can trust me. I understand the data and understand the problem. I build trust that way. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, you know, to your point, each person has to, you know, I like it though. Still, still the best things from each person that you can find and make it your own. I like that. <laughs> well, the, the best part is you're not stealing it. You're just, you know, kind of borrowing it, keeping it close because all these beautiful souls that make up where you are today, um, none of that's stolen from them. If if they're truly a leader, they would have want to share it freely and give it yeah. to you. So it's yeah. true. It's not stealing, it's sharing. I love that. Sharing, yeah. And well, this is a lot of fun and I, I loved learning from you about leadership. And I think a lot of CIOs will really appreciate uh, what you shared. So thanks so much for taking time to talk with us. And thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for the CIO podcast by Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcasting applications. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, John. <laughs>